Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ever feel judged at the gym? You don't know how to use the leg curl machine? <laughs> Are you serious? This is your first day alive? Um... <laughs> no, it's okay. I love helping people during their first day on Earth. At Planet Fitness, get energy without the judgment and join the judgment-free zone. Never intimidating, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. Get energized today during the big fitness energy sale for 24 cents down, $10 a month. Cancel any time. Deal ends Friday, January 12th. See Home Club for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another episode of the Starting 502 podcast. As always, Presley Meyer, your host for the most, and Jake Hook. Starting 502 podcast presented by Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon. You can now purchase Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon online, which me and Jake were just checking out at sealbox.com. We will put that link in the bio and we'll put that link on the information underneath this episode as well. Wherever you find your podcast, make sure you check out Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon, the up and coming brand in Bourbon. Pretty impressive how Russ has done this. And when they're promoting this, people outside of Louisville that you know aren't big college basketball fans, Sometimes they see Mr. and Mrs. and they go, oh, you're the guy on the bottle. It's cool that he's already becoming related to his brand versus being a guy who, you know, won a national championship, had his number retired, played in the NBA. None of that. You know, he's being known all of a sudden for that bourbon brand, which just goes to show you just how good the product is. Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon, make sure you check it out in stores. But you guys are here today to hear about a little bit of Louisville basketball. And Jake, I don't know about you, man, but I think maybe this is the worst case scenario, right? We're getting a little bit of hope. At least I am. Posted an article about it this this week. You know, not exactly, you know, stroking Kenny Payne's ego by any means or or trying to, you know, trade this in a, in a false light. I think it's been pretty obvious, especially when Louisville's away from home, that this team has looked completely different. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it three, four podcasts ago, but I think before the season started, maybe like after an exhibition or two, just about uh, how this season needed to go one of two ways. Either I want eight wins and we're like, nope, this isn't the guy. We move on or I want 20 plus. Obviously, I prefer 20 plus over eight wins. But this awkward like middle ground where it's like, yeah, we're better than four wins, but is 13 wins the standard at Louisville? Is that acceptable? And the answer is still no, but that kind of puts the, the fan support people who make decisions kind of in an awkward spot where it's like, do we give up on our guy, our former Louisville alumni after he has shown improvement? So I'm happy to see some baby steps, more competitive play against Virginia Tech, against IU, against Texas, but kind of fearful of what that's going to end up in. You have some of the ingredients of a successful team. And when I say that, you know, 
you have coaches that have winning experience. You have players who have winning experience. Really, Jack? My dog's just talking to me right now. You have, But you have coaches and players <laughs> who have winning experience. You have the ingredients of players who seem to really like being around each other. The players like playing for these coaches. Uh, so that wasn't necessarily the case last year. So you do have that scenario. However, when you look towards the future, it doesn't give me a lot of hope that, that Louisville's going to be able to, to reconstruct this team maybe, uh, you know, next year. Say that, say this team somehow ends up 500 or something like that. I'm not sure how much promise there is for the future, and that's where I still get a little bit of concern as well. Uh, and then on the court, uh, it, it seems to me, Jake, like uh, this is a team that they might be able to play with anybody this year, but are they going to be able to finish? Uh, we saw against Virginia Tech, uh, a similar storyline to it was very reminiscent of the IU game, right? Where Louisville was, you know, either ahead or, or uh, you know, with the lead was in, you know, one or two possessions, never like blowing them out, never getting blown out, you know, just a solid back and forth game. And it reminded me a lot of the Indiana and Texas games where they had an opportunity. It felt like to pull away. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. They had some lackadaisical possessions, all of a sudden, the tide starts turning. Virginia Tech starts hitting some shots. They go on their run. And then at the end of the game, with about a minute, minute and a half left, you just have three or four consecutive possessions that are just really poor. You know, maybe the players know that they are execute. You know, they, they, they know what to execute, but they're not executing the right way. Are you kind of seeing the same thing? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really similar to the IU-Texas game where you're in it, and then the, the end of the game is just not well executed enough by players by coaches to get those victories that this team so desperately needs i actually think i mean the end obviously was really big whenever virginia tech i think had a three-point lead with like a minute and a half left to go and uh they had the ball and we got a stop and then we fouled them and then that that was kind of in the game but i think it was like four or five minutes left in the first half cards are up six or seven kind of looking like we could like really put our foot on the throttle and really dominate this game. And Virginia Tech's two best players were on the bench. Lynn Kidd, that big, big dude that was kind of dominating the post. And then the white guard, Sean Padula, they both went to the bench. I think they both had two fouls. And instead of expanding the lead, I think we're up six or seven. We end up only leading at the end of the half by one. And I think that was a crusher because that's a that's an opportunity where you go up 10, 12 points at halftime and you really have a firm grasp on that lead. And it because it was a back-and-forth game in the second half. But if you go in with a 12-point lead, then cards probably come out on top six instead of down by six. So that was really the most frustrating part to me was that missed opportunity right there. And I think that's kind of what this season has been in those competitive games. Yeah, you've allowed Virginia Tech to to remain in a place of comfort. You know, Lula came out and really silenced a, a road crowd pretty quickly. They were able to do that towards the end of the, the first half as well. But then Virginia Tech just puts together this little run. They come out of halftime seemingly very comfortable uh, and they just keep going down low to the big man. And this is an area where I've, I've had great concern all year. Didn't have the services of Dennis Evans. The other concern, obviously you don't really have anything as far as like a really sizable big man down low, a really, you know, a, a dominant five, if you will, Mania core four and Brandon Huntley Hatfield are kind of, you know, fours that you can play as a five. JJ trainer is a guy that you can play as a five, uh, but they're not, uh, like a kid, like a like a kid, kid the player, not a child. <laughs> they they are not like a kid for Virginia Tech, right? Not a guy that you can just 
feel comfortable getting it to him down low, banging up against somebody and, and going up one-on-one. That's a concern for me. And, and I, I'm concerned that this coaching staff is not making adjustments adjustments to kind of close out or close in on a guy in the low post as well. A guy like Kid for Virginia Tech over and over again, they keep feeding it to this guy in the low post. And then you got Brandon Huntley Hatfield or J.J. Trainer trying to front him on, on, on defense and – that's going to be advantage to the big man every time. Nobody's coming in and trying to make it uncomfortable for him. Nobody's trying to double him up. That That's never been a thing under Kenny Payne. Uh, and he just allows his big men to just get worked over and over and over again. And there's no real adjustment for that. Uh, and so when you are going up at teams like against teams like a, a Duke, I mean, Armando Baycott would give this team 35 and 25 right now. Uh, there's no doubt about that in my mind. So you're going to have these Deuces, Virginia Techs, Clemsons, you know, these high-level ACC teams that are going to have legitimate big men. Uh, and that's a huge concern for me on defense right now. When you're looking at this guard play, though, on, on defense, do you feel like things are a little bit better? I felt like it was on and off against Virginia Tech. Uh, same same thing against Bellarmine, same thing against New Mexico State. Uh, they seem like they know what they're doing at times. Uh, Trey White's effort to me against Virginia Tech was a lot better defensively. Uh, Mike, but uh, again, Mike James inconsistent on on the defensive end, inconsistent on the boards. Uh, what 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 do you think in, in that department? Yeah, defensively, I mean, you got Sky. Sky's not the best on ball defender. I mean, he's okay, but he does get blown by at times. Ty Lord does a great job pressuring the ball. He's good for probably like a steal a game or like two or three stupid fouls, one of the two. But he gets boned by as well. I, I mean, I really think our biggest issue is just team defense, being able to rotate off the ball and having all four of those guys that aren't on the ball kind of locked in as to where they need to be when they're off the ball, in the paint with eyes on the their guy and eyes on the guy with the ball. I think that's really where the biggest issues lie on this team. Because, I mean, you're in Division One basketball, you're probably going to and get beat to the basket at times. Teams are playing against the ACC are solid, so that's understandable. It's just the issue of not having anyone there to help or only having one guy there to help, and, and that's not enough. And then he helps, and his guy gets an offensive rebound or a pass. So I think it's really more team defensive issues than it is exactly individual effort, but there are some issues individually as well. Do you think there's something to be said about uh, Louisville's performances – away from home versus at home. I'm not sure if the sample size is big enough quite yet, but it really feels like uh, it's kind of a polar opposite of what we saw last year. Uh, You saw Louisville get cooked a lot on on the road last year, and there were some, and and I will just say some, you know, probably eight to ten games that they were quote-unquote in, which is sad to even talk about. But at, at home, it seemed like they played a little bit better at home last year. This year has been distinctly different. Madison Square Garden and then at Virginia Tech, to me, those are the three best games as a team that Louisville has played. And then when you look at a game like Chattanooga uh, and, and then a game like New Mexico State, I thought that they looked just as bad as a team could look. Do you kind of agree with that notion? And do you think that there's something to be said about maybe playing in an empty arena? They just don't have the energy. Like, I, I, I truly, it's kind of hard uh, hard to process that they that they almost feel like a different team away from home. Yeah, I'm unsure if it's the home away thing or if it's more just the level of competition and they're just kind of playing up to that level of competition. They were excited to be in New, in New York, 
excited to play against Texas and IU and Virginia Tech, and then maybe just less, I don't want to say prepared, probably a little less prepared, but less excited to play against UMBC, play against Chattanooga, play against Coppin State, which those are, we've just played bad teams at home. So I think like you said, there's definitely something there. I think the sample size is a little too small yet to figure out if it's a home away thing or if it's just playing to the level of your competition because it easily could be both, but you're right. I mean, you immediately in games against IU, Texas, and Virginia, and Virginia Tech, the effort is just completely different. The execution is better. It's, it's odd to see. I mean, it's good to see that we're playing well against these higher echelon teams, but it's just really weird to see them play so well against Texas and IU and then come out losing at the half to a team like Arkansas State, or not Arkansas State, New Mexico State, who didn't even have their best player that day. I mean, we, we really never even really got an opportunity to talk about the New Mexico State game. We've really played three games since the last time we discussed this. But, I mean, that was atrocious. Louisville was trailing pretty much the entire game against New Mexico State. New Mexico State team that Kentucky beat by, I believe, 40. Uh, New Mexico State team that lost to some other no-name team but like 30. Uh, this is a team, we talked about this in the offseason, that should be one of the worst teams they play all year. Uh, they, they had a pretty much just, New Mexico. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> they just yeah. lost to New Mexico 106 to 62 in their last game. Yeah. And, and they, the they levels looked, aren't too good either. They looked like the better now talent wise. No, but they looked like the better team than Louisville at Louisville. And they were without their best player. Uh, and they came in and they legitimately looked better. I think New Mexico state in a sense was similar to what you've seen at times under Kenny Payne, where teams come in and say, okay, this is our chance to get them. Like, this is a big name, brand name team. It's going to be on television. Uh, people are going to see and hear about this, but we know that we can get this team. Uh, you know, it, it feels similar to, you remember that, that year that North Carolina was way down? Uh, and I don't remember if it was Roy Williams last year or Hubert Davis's first year, uh, but UNC just did not have it. And they just kept getting beat up by lesser name programs. Uh, and, and it feels the same way in a sense you know, that that year, I don't think anybody was like, oh, you know, North Carolina is terrible. They're just like, they just keep losing. They, they like, and it gets to a point where it's kind of like when Notre Dame in football had those down years. You know, you have this massive name program uh, with all these national championships and acclaim and, and brand recognition, but they're just having a down year. And people, it's, it's really easy to kick teams while they're down. And that's kind of what it felt like against New Mexico State. Everything was going right for them. Everything was going wrong for Louisville. Uh, once once that starts happening, the crowd, what whoever is there, gets even less engaged, even more irritated, and then almost feels like that's working against you a little bit. To be frank with you, I mean that that team against New Mexico State was as bad as we've seen under Kenny Payne. Now they they did close it out, but part of that was they went to the free throw line something like 49, 50 times, something of that nature. Uh, so that's another thing to consider as well, but. You know, the Bellerman game, Bellerman, let's just be honest here, Jake. Bellerman's not the team that they've been the last couple of years. Uh, they didn't have their best two players, and Louisville was able to just kind of eke one out, kind of in a different fashion. They won a few games or, or you know, lost in close fashion to IU in Texas uh, by getting to the free throw line a lot. Heading into that Bellerman game, they were getting fouled more than any team in the country, getting to the line more than any team in the country. On the flip side of that, they come into the Bellarmine game, they don't get a foul called on them for 19 minutes 
<laughs> which is <laughs> just difficult to even process. Try to put a bow on all of that. It really feels like this team has been a bit of an, an enigma, but the one commonality has been they've played well away from home uh, and, and poorly at home. I don't know if it's a motivation thing. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but I think that the Paul will determining factor, like maybe they, this is just a team that just plays well away from the negativity, the cesspool that is kind of the fan base right now. And, and not to say that anybody that is, you know, disagrees with Kenny Payne still being the coach or any of that is wrong. Cause they're not, I mean, this is, it's been unacceptable, but just to kind of put a bow on that, I think that the Paul will be a good determinant of, of, you know, what this team can do because the Paul just flat out stinks. They stink. They probably are as close to being as bad as, as New Mexico State, Bellarmine, Chattanooga. Like they're probably about on that level. Many nationally are saying these are the two worst group of six teams out there. Power six teams, if you will, I guess in college basketball. So with that in mind, when you look at this DePaul game, to me, I look at this and I, I think that this is a game Louisville should, they should win by 10 to 15 points. Yeah, I'd expect them, I think I wrote it down, I expect them to win by like eight or 10. DePaul is, a, like you said, a pretty bad team, ranked 203rd in Kempom, one and six on the year, lost to Purdue, Fort Wayne, Long Beach State, and San Francisco already. Their best game was probably a five-point loss to South Carolina. Um, that's like their most competitive game against a decent team. And then they just lost to Iowa State last week by 19. But Iowa State's not a ter- – they're actually a pretty decent team. So those are probably honestly their two best games in losses. Um, they lost their top three scores from last year. So, I mean, they didn't they don't really have a lot of continuity. I think it's their coach's third year back. So it's kind of a brand-new team, still a lot un- unexpected. Uh, the one thing they do do really well – is they shoot the hell out of the ball from the three-point line. They've got three dudes shooting better than 40% from the three-point line. So that's a really, really large concern. I think it's who is it? it's Chico Carter Jr. Averages like 13 points a game, is shooting 40% from the field. And they've got a kid named KT Ramey, who I think he might know he's not Texas Tech. That's another one of their guys. But he's shooting like 75% of his shots from the three-point line. And he's shooting, I think, 46% from three. So... If there is one way that DePaul beats us, it's by knocking down a ton of threes. And I don't think Louisville's three-point defense is the best. I know they're ranked actually pretty highly. I think teams are only shooting like 29 30% from three against us. But a lot of that's from the IUUT game where they combined to shoot three of 28. That's helping out our ranking a lot. And a lot of that was luck. It wasn't like we were defending three-point shots really well. So, I mean, I think Louisville's a better team. DePaul kind of has a mismatch of talent. They've got like four dudes that score 10 plus points per game. They're not great rebounders at all. They're really bad on defense. They don't, they're not good in transition. Really, their only great skill is three point shooting. So, I mean, this should be a game that Louisville wins. But if DePaul gets hot from three point line or if Louisville comes out and looks like they did against New Mexico State, then it's anyone's ballgame. Yeah, KT Ramey, to your point, a transfer from College of Southern Idaho. Uh, he didn't miss a free throw all last year. <laughs> he didn't miss a free throw all of last year. Re- really more of just a specialist. But they have guys like that that can that either start or, or can come off the bench and be kind of a specialty player. Uh, this will be an interesting test because UofL's, UofL's three-point defense isn't terrible. 
by the numbers, I can by the eye test, I can attest to you that the three point defense is not very good. Uh, that IU game comes to mind where IU was what one for twenty five or something like that from from three point range. I think they shot seven percent from three. Uh, so with that in mind, it'll be interesting to see if Louisville. You can tell that Louisville's placed an emphasis on closing out on shots. It might sound silly, but this is the type of thing that would happen to Louisville is that Churchill Abbas just has like his coming quote unquote coming out party coming out for like the 3000 people that are going to watch this game. Um, but, you know, Churchill, he clearly was a guy that wanted to end up at Louisville. Uh, he was down to Louisville and DePaul for, it felt like eight months or something like that. Uh, Louisville rec- recruited Manny Accor for last year and everybody's like, Oh, this Churchill Abbas guy's coming up. This is what they're doing. They're looking at all these NBA Africa guys, and they're going to start a pipeline in NBA Africa. And Manny is the, just the first domino to fall. And then Louisville flies to Africa, playing in an NBA Africa tournament. Oh, yeah, Kenny Payne went to Africa. Yes. And so after checking out some of the guys at the tournament, they left, and Manny still did, or excuse me, uh, Churchill still didn't have a scholarship offer. Uh, and that was pretty much that. I think that when Kenny saw him in person, he didn't realize that maybe, you know, he didn't bring the motor and the, the the hops and the size that he felt like he saw on his highlight tape. Now, there's a lot of guys in that NBA Africa League and that whole NBA, it was the NBAL, something like that. The development league that there's, you know, there's four different leagues. There's one in Europe. Uh, I believe there's one in, in like Latin America, something of that nature. There are a lot of really, really solid, talented athletic freaks that are coming out of those leagues. And so I think that Kenny and the coaching staff are among uh, a few coaches that are trying to take that route. They're trying to bring in these, uh, these foreign players, but it would not surprise me in the least if, if all of a sudden we look up and Churchill Bass, who is averaging three points, three rebounds and a block per game, all of a sudden has, you know, he's playing 25 minutes and he has a double double or something. Would not surprise me in the least. Uh, that's the t- that's the type of stuff that that's been happening, and it's you know what could go wrong will go wrong type of thing. Another thing that really stands out as well, DePaul is not really a good defensive team. I, I think that's putting it you know generously. Uh, so this we could look up, and this is a game that's like forty five to forty or fifty to forty five at halftime, something of that nature. Uh, and, and you know both teams are are pushing to score hundred points. I, I wouldn't be shocked in, in the least with that. When you look at this DePaul team, does anything stand out to you where Louisville can really uh, take advantage? I mean, they give up a ton of points, 78.6 per game, uh, which is more than Louisville does. And Louisville gives up a lot of points, too. They're 315th in the nation. Louisville, I think, is like 250 or something like that. They don't force a lot of turnovers either. They're only 12.7. So that's beneficial for Louisville because turnovers obviously have been an issue. And so it seems like DePaul doesn't pressure the ball a ton. Uh, they give up 47% shooting from the field and 35% shooting from three. So just love to give up good looks, really, which hopefully Louisville can knock those down. Um, like like you said, I mean, it's probably going to be a high-scoring game, probably both teams scoring in the 80s. As far as Churchill Bass goes, I don't think he'll be much of a factor. I think he plays like 14 minutes a night. I watched this tape in high school, just so, so raw. I mean, could not put a post move to memory. Like, I mean, really, really athletic, really strong, kind of reminded me of like a baby Oscar Shibwe. If Oscar Shibwe hadn't played basketball in five years, 
Um, but I mean, really just raw, but super athletic. He's had two games already where he's had four plus blocks against Long Beach State and South Dakota State. So, I mean, he's a defensive presence and he's really the only one they have. So that could cause some issues as well, especially with how much we love to penetrate. But I don't think he's going to play enough minutes to be a huge, huge factor. But like you said, he's definitely going to be amped up. I mean, I think it was really clear he wanted to go to Louisville, just that Louisville never gave him that scholarship offer. And so he went to DePaul instead. So he's going to be playing for more. I think we should just just start Manny, start Churchill, <laughs> and see who can foul out the quickest. I think that's <laughs> I, that, that's, clearly, on- that's clearly that's clearly an issue. A lot of foreign players uh, that don't go straight to the league and end up in college basketball. That's one of the biggest adjustments is, is the physicality of college basketball is not nearly what it is in, in Europe or, or anywhere overseas, really. Now, I, I will say, going back to like maybe the early 2000s, college basketball physical as it gets, especially in the old Big East that Louisville played in. And it feels like if Churchill Bass is going to be somewhere, being in the Big East is, is a solid fit for him. Yeah, hopefully things worked out well for him. Seems like a good guy. Uh, it is interesting, though, that Louisville took Manny very much, if any, development from last year from Manny, pretty much getting less time this year than he did at the finish of last year. I know a lot of that has to do with personnel and and disagreements and that sort of thing as well, but interesting to see. One other thing that I'll point out uh, before we get into a couple questions on Twitter, let's give flowers to Brandon Huntley-Hatfield. I think that if, if there's a guy that I look at this team that I was really critical of of – his play um, to, to start the season, uh, it, it was Brandon. And I feel like he's really brought it uh, since the, the team left for New York. Uh, he's rebounding extremely well. Pretty much the only player on the team that's re- rebounding well, except for Trey White kind of rebounds well for his size. But for the most part, Brandon is is the guy that's grabbing rebounds, that's being the aggressor on defense, that's being the aggressor in the post. Shout out to Brandon. I need to – I'll do this probably. I'll post it on Twitter tomorrow or something. But kind of similar to the ones our team, if we play a upper echelon opponent, you know, like a power five team, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield is there. He is in that game. He is grabbing nine, ten boards a game. He's scoring ten points. He's playing decent post-defense. But when we're playing Coppin State, UMBC, Bellarmine, New Mexico State, he had zero points against New Mexico State. That's insane. Like, that's crazy. So, I mean, like, when he is on, when his effort level is there, I mean – he is such an important piece of this team. He's the only dude who can reliably guard a big man. He's the only dude that can grab nine, 10 rebounds a game. And he's really the only guy that I feel comfortable with giving the ball in the post and letting him just go to work and putting up a bucket. So, I mean, God, if we can just get that man's motor running at full speed all the time, he'd be a double, double every game. Yeah. There's kind of this attitude with, with BHH where it feels like you ever just been like at an open gym, just like getting some run in it. And there's a guy there that's just clearly better than everybody. And then there's like a, you know, a couple pesky little white dudes or something like that that are just giving way too much effort. And they're just like, fuck it, let him get the rebound. They're probably going to miss anyways. Like that's Brandon's kind of effort towards lesser teams. Like he doesn't go, oh shit, I could have 20 and 20 tonight. He goes, this is, this is awful. Like, you know, it, it just, that that's feels like that's what the mindset is. A guy like that, you have to have them bring it every night. And it's kind of that's kind of a leadership thing, you know. He he needs to to do kind of what Sky Clark is doing right now or what JJ Trainer is doing, which when they're playing these quote unquote lesser opponents, that you know, they, they they need to be able to be just as locked in and just as focused. 
And I, I'm, there's something to be said about that as well, Jake, that, you know, most of the teams they played at home have just been horrendous. Uh, you know, they played some of the, the worst teams in the country when they've been at home. Uh, so I, I think there's absolutely something to be said about that. Uh, it could be less, you know, the, the awkward crowd situation, the awkward elephant in the room, and more just that they are playing up to their competition. Uh, my hope is that they kind of come in with that chip on their shoulder against, uh, against DePaul. Uh, speaking of DePaul, a few questions from, from people on Twitter um, or X, whatever you refer to it as. In Brom we trust asks, what is the mindset of the team if they can't beat DePaul? Uh, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, with what we were saying. You know what? I, I have it on good authority, Jake, and I, I think a lot of people had heard this. It sounds like some of the, the local media guys who are behind the scenes had heard this, that Kenny was basically given an ultimatum. If, if Louisville lost to Bellarmine, he was pretty much out. And that was that's something that I heard from more than just a few people. Uh, that was something that was very a very loud secret, if you will. And Louisville was losing to Bellarmine, what, 21 to 20 or something? at, at halftime. So yes. uh, that was something that was definitely on the table to his credit. Louisville came out and scored 50 something points in the second half, which much better, probably, you know, one of the better halves that they put together all season. Uh, but with that in mind, I feel like, you know, the same sort of sentiment is on the table right now. You have to get up, be able to get this team to perform at the level that they're expected every single game. It can't be, we can bring it sometimes we can't bring it sometimes. And Kenny gets really philosophical, right? You know, he comes in after these games and you ask him a question. He never really gives you an answer. He just kind of asks you questions back. Like, you tell me how you'd handle this situation. You tell me how th- you handled this situation. And it's such a different approach than we've ever heard from any coach in football or basketball, women's basketball, any of that stuff around Louisville. You know, it's it's like a almost like a softer version of like the Scott Satterfield love them up. And that's not to say that Kenny doesn't rip their asses all the time in private. And, you know, he just handles things a different way. Uh, but his approach is clearly not working. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is he going to change about that? Is he going to try to let other coaching staff handle certain aspects? Is he going to try to, to handle things a little bit more aggressively himself? What is that going to take? You look at a successful program like Louisville football, uh, and how they handle things, how Jeff Brum handles things. And then you look across the room at Kenny Payne and how he's handling adversity. And there are uh, significant, distinct differences in the way that those things are handled. Uh, and, and so to answer the question, in, in, in my opinion, Jake, you know, I, I, I think it's the same thing as the Bellarmine game. This is a game where you basically say, you go, you go to Chicago, you take care of business, because that's what this is. This isn't put up a good fight. This isn't, you know, you should try to eke one out. None of that. You need to go up and take care of business against the Paul. Show that you are, you know, who you truly are. That Louisville has much, much better talent on this team than the Paul does. Uh, as we just talked about, there's a guy on their team that that really wanted to go to Louisville, and Louisville just straight up said no. Now go go up there and show why guys like that are playing for the Paul and not playing for Louisville. Uh, that that's my take on it. What, what's the hot seat like here, Jake? If, if Louisville does lose this one, yeah, I, I saw the same things you did about if if KP did lose that game against Bellarmine, then he was essentially gone. I don't really know what the protocol is after that. Does Nolan step up? Does Danny Manning step up? I'm not really sure. I'm sure that plan is in place if it happens. This team's got to beat DePaul. If they, I mean, if they win, 
they've got Arkansas State and Pepperdine, which are again two of the worst teams. And I mean, not worst teams, but like their bottom 100 teams in college basketball. And there's 360 teams in college basketball. So I mean, get this win here against DePaul. Rip off another one at home against Pepperdine and Arkansas State. You're going in the Kentucky game. Probably still not feeling great, but at least like the fan people will want to watch the game and like maybe like let's see if we can keep it interesting. Take an L to DePaul. Play poorly against Arkansas State and Pepperdine. And good lord, I don't. I mean, I'll watch the game because me and you have to talk about it on this podcast, following it up. But I don't know how many other fans you're going to convince to go to that game to assumedly watch us lose by 30 or 40 if we play poorly against these next three teams so i think it's a big game you mean you're going to lose a lot of the team morale if you're losing games to teams like depaul yeah i mean the the points that you made kind of go hand in hand with joe mamba 33 who says if this season continues to go the way that we expect it to can we expect josh hurd when can we expect josh hurd to make an announcement that's a great question i I think that kind of goes hand in hand I, i don't think anything's off the table at some point, you have to consider fan morale. You have to consider the brand that Louisville has built over the last 40 to 50 years. You have to consider how much you're tarnishing your brand by continuing to allow and accept this sort of, of play on the court. Uh, and, and to me, every game right now matters. You know, you cannot you cannot lose any of the next three games. You cannot lose to DePaul. Louisville simply does not lose to DePaul. And things have kind of sp- spiraled out of control since the last time that Louisville played and lost to DePaul, which was, I think that was two or three years ago now, right? Uh, we don't acknowledge the we loss on DePaul, DePaul Day, but there's the reason why we have the, the DePaul Day. You know, it, it's, it's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off type of thing, like, uh, you know, Kenny Payne's Day Off. You know, Louisville beats DePaul. That's what we do. We don't lose to DePaul. And the, the joke always when they're in the Big East was that, you know, that was the bye game. That was the, the game where, you know, you should win by 20, 30, 40 points. It should be easy. Everybody should be having a great time, and you enjoy this reprieve during Big East play. And now it's become where, according to Ken Palm, DePaul should be favored by one, which is just crazy to even try to wrap your head around. Now, a couple of years ago when Louisville lost to DePaul, DePaul actually had a pretty quality squad. Uh, things have changed and slipped significantly since that last loss. DePaul, probably the worst team uh, in, in power six basketball. Uh, so you simply cannot lose this game. You cannot lose to a terrible Arkansas state team. You cannot lose to Pepperdine. If you do that, then maybe you have some good grace, but again, it's just like the Kentucky game last year. People around here do not like losing to Kentucky. And you can see on the football side of things, how much it's wearing on people. Kentucky fans are, some of the most obnoxious creatures that are walking the face of the earth. It's very difficult to, to deal with. These are the people that we know and love and spend our, our day to day with. You cannot continue to lose to Kentucky, let alone get beat down. And I think that's really what, what really just sucked the life out of, out of Louisville fans. If, if, if starting whatever it was, Oh, and nine last year, wasn't bad enough. Just getting absolutely routed by Kentucky Uh, at Kentucky was bad. It's going to be a really bad look as it is, Jake. There's going to be 10,000-plus Kentucky fans in the Yum Center. It makes me sick even thinking about it. And if Louisville is anything but 7-4 and going into that game and Kenny Payne is still the head coach, it's going to be these moments where we're like, how much lower can we go? How much worse can this get? And it feels like no matter if if, if Louisville's 4-7, 7-4 going into that game, it still feels like it's it's setting – Kenny Payne and, and this this 
you know, nu- nuclear reaction waiting to to go off. That is the Louisville fan base. Yes, it's nice that, that Louisville's won some games and it's nice that they've improved, but all that goes out, out, out the window if you drop another one by 30 to 40 points to Kentucky, uh, especially in front of a, a quote-unquote home crowd that more than likely will consist of more Kentucky than the Louisville fans. And I think that might seal the deal for his fate. Like, you know, to, to answer this question, I think it will seal his fate if Louisville goes in and just looks absolutely, completely just inadequate and it's a lopsided loss against Kentucky. But he's not going to do himself any favors unless they truly win handily against the next three teams. When I say win handily, 8, 10, 12 points should be the minimum. You should never even play a close game with DePaul. Uh, just like you shouldn't have played close games with with some of the other teams so far this season. So uh, what say you, Jay Cook? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's pretty clear based on what was reported in that Bellarmine game that he's walking a very thin line and he does not have much of a leash left to go uh, in this tenure at Louisville. I mean, basically it was if he loses to Bellarmine, he's gone. So it's very clear that Josh Hurd has a plan in place if this continues to go as poorly as it has. So I think... Honestly, two losses out of the next four games, especially a dominant like a, a blowout loss to Kentucky and maybe a loss to DePaul, Arkansas State, or Pepperdine. I, I think that might do it. I mean, if Josh Hurd was considering pulling the plug after a Bellarmine loss, I don't see why a loss to Arkansas State and then a, a an embarrassing blowout loss to Kentucky would make him feel any better. So I mean, I think it's close, but I think if we can win these three games and, and stay competitive in a Kentucky game, then I think he lives to see another day and we see where this team finishes the season out at. But I, I, I think it is a little bit closer than some people realize. Folks, as always, I am currently sipping on some Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon. Mr. and Mrs., as you might know, is the official brand of Louisville basketball legend Russ Smith. But what you might not know is that Mr. and Mrs. is becoming a national and global brand, shaking things up in the bourbon industry. Like basketball, bourbon has long been a passion for Russ. Dating back to his college days, he studied and learned under some of the more renowned distillers in the area. Mr. and Mrs. is more than just a passion project. It's the culmination of a decade of painstaking work. Mr. and Mrs. is for everyone. From a more traditional 90 proof with a little bit of hiddens of candy corn and butterscotch to a cash drink that's, some, that's somehow smoother than 2013 Russ go into the hole. Mr. and Mrs. covers all tastes and preferences with six different offerings. Be among the first to try Mr. and Mrs., the official bourbon of the state of Louisville in from the Starting 502 podcast. On shelves anywhere you find your liquor or online at mrandmrsbourbon.com. I, I've heard a lot of the notion, and I understand the notion of people saying, well, what's the point of, of letting go of Kenny Payne midseason? And my reaction to that, you know, there's still something to be salvaged here, right? You know, you still have a good group of players, and if you can show that group of players that what the program can be like without a head coach that's kind of holding you back, I think there's something to be said for that as well. You know, say it's Nolan Smith. Uh, to me, that feels like the most likely uh, candidate to take over. Say it's Nolan Smith that takes over as as the interim head coach for the last 10 games. You know, what does that look like for Louisville? And how much different can things look when somebody like that is is running things? You know, and, and it's, it's similar to when Mike Begeese took over for Chris Mack, right? Like, it felt like that situation was unsalvageable. Uh, Chris did the right thing, and Louisville, you know, 
was good to him on, on the way out, as good as they could have been. Uh, with all of that in mind, Kenny Payne is, is going to leave them no choice if, if they continue to lose. Uh, you have to be able to, to salvage the brand. You have to be able to, to salvage, uh, you know, dignity <laughs> that, that was once around this proud program. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 10 years ago, this program won a national championship. It's those sort of things that you have to call into question what what good does it do to even have him as the coach at this point, right? I understand people's arguments for for keeping Kenny through the end of the season, but at the same time, if if you just cut the cord, you know, you can maybe salvage some of the players on the team if they, you know, finish out the season without their coach and and positive things start to happen. I mean, for just just uh when I say positive things, let's put it in perspective a little bit. Say, you know, Louisville's six and, and 14, uh, and, and Kenny gets the ax. We have an interim head coach. What's going to happen with the fan base? Immediately, people are going to start showing up to games. You know, consistently, people, that's what's happened in the past. People will show up, and they'll be like, look, we were not not showing up because of you. We were not showing up because of the coach. We still support this program. We still support the players. Absolutely think something like that would happen. And there's a positivity around the program because now you're looking at, okay, well, will we have an interim takeover? You know, what's the coaching surge look like? And it's known around the country that this prominent brand is looking for a new leader. They're looking for a new head coach. To me, it still feels like the writing's on the wall because when you look at the recruits coming in, I, I don't even know if Louisville's going to sign the one commitment that they have. In, in, in this early signing period. Um, so I'm not even sure what's going to happen with that. You're going to have to bring in new, <laughs> new players. You cannot continue to have the, the, the same core of players, right? Like it, the, things are going to have to be changed up again, regardless. So to me, it feels like the writing's on the wall, just looking forward to the future that there's Kenny's not landed any of these big name players that we expected him to in the past. And he's not been successful in the portal. So when you combine those two things, you know, it's what what do you look toward in, in, in the future? Like what what is what is there positive that you can take take away? Because, uh, you know, maybe at least two years ago or last year, you could look look forward and say, oh, we're going to bring in X, Y and Z player. And those type of guys will be able to turn this thing around. There's none of that this year. So this is it. He either wins or he's gone. And so if you prove that you can't turn turn this thing around, you're losing the Chattanooga. You're barely squeaking one out against against a team with four players left that didn't even exist last year. If those kinds of things are still happening, then there's not enough improvement to say, okay, this is worthwhile. Let's cut the cord while we can. I feel like I I think that it probably is better to just you know cut bait and kind of realize what the situation is, which is a failed experiment trying to bring Kenny Payne home. And I think it would be interesting to see Nolan get that opportunity to be head coach. Not that I think that he's the future head coach after that, but I mean, just give this team a breath of fresh air. And like you said, I mean, this fan base will rally around this team. If Kenny Payne is gone, not that I really want him gone at this point, but I think you are right. That is inevitable. This, this fan base will be like, listen, we're here for the players. They will start to show up more. We'll sell more tickets. We'll be there more for the players. And it stinks that that's what it's come to, but it almost just feels like we're in a bad relationship and we're just kind of dragging it on at this point. And it's like, oh, well, we had one good day when we go and beat New Mexico State and then you come back and you lose to Coppin State or whatever it is. So 
it kind of feels like we're dragging out the inevitable. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, to your point, it's kind of like we've all had these friends that have been in these awkward relationships uh, where it's like they're still together, like that's still going on. And you'll see them every once in a while and they'll be like, oh, no, I mean, he did like this amazing thing. And it's like the thing that's amazing is like they like put their dish in the dishwasher, took the trash out once or like a, a small gesture that you would just expect out of, out of a out of a normal spouse. And that's kind of what Kenny Payne as, as a head coach has kind of felt like, yes, uh, like I wrote this week, you he deserves credit where it's due, where there is, there are improvements and you can't just continue to be a hater, if you will. You can't continue to harp on on the same negative things when those things are improving. It's not necessarily everything is just all terrible. There are good things happening. You do have quality players in that are are starting to understand and grasp your system that are starting to do good things, which are positive things. Those are better things than when you started the season. They're better than last year, which is great. Also remember that that's not our standard. And ultimately it's just like in that relationship where it's like, okay, yeah, it's nice that they did that thing, but the the history does not indicate that's who that person is. The history doesn't indicate that they're going to continue doing those things. Uh, What, from what we know, this is still not a good fit. This is still an unhealthy relationship. And ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to, Jake. Uh, any final words as we head in, into DePaul and some really cruddy teams in Arkansas State and Pepperdine? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Kenny is like a long, drawn-out relationship that should have ended probably six months ago. I mean, he's like the boyfriend that came home and he washed his car. Oh, Kenny, he washed my car and he got me flowers. They're so pretty. Look at them. But then it's like, then the next night he goes out and drinks too much, blacks out and pisses the bed and he loses to Chattanooga. And you're like, oh, can he? And so it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's a lot more down than it is up for sure. We'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to try and stay positive. We've got winnable games to Paul, Arkansas state Pepperdine. Like you should, like you said, should be eight to 12 point wins. If this team is coached well, we've got the talent to win those games. Hopefully we've got a little bit of positive momentum going into Kentucky and we can be a little bit happier. Like you said, there have been some baby steps and some progress. We just need to see consistent play against these lower level teams like we were seeing when or like we are seeing when they play Virginia Tech and IU in Texas. So got a little bit of hope, but a lot of fear. A lot of fear. And, you know, the one thing that, that I'll, I'll leave this with as well is, you know, you win these three games and then you never know. Right. I mean, you 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 have every opportunity to right your wrongs, right? You play Kentucky, a team that is clearly significantly better than you, a team that has at times looked like maybe the best team in the country this year. And you have an opportunity to play and beat that team just like anybody else on your schedule, right? You have an opportunity to beat a Duke in North Carolina, Miami, uh, you know, these highly regarded ranked teams. Uh, You have those opportunities this year. Uh, but you're going to have to go out and do it. You're going to have to prove that you're capable of that. And, and so that's what, where we'll leave it. Everybody go out and enjoy a nice DePaul day. Get yourself some Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon and enjoy celebrating a win against DePaul. We're already five and four. It's already taken care of. There's no jinx there. Uh, until next time, starting 502 podcast, it's got it here in Go Cards. Go Cards. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.